in my industry, what is the biggest myth? Okay, so I'll I'll focus on uh, you know I, I'm working on this startup in the in the tech space, and the biggest myth is one that is so familiar: if you build it, they will come. Hmm. And and it's this it what what you know put make this a little more concrete. This says, well, you know, you get this great idea, and and maybe you do have a great idea. Market test the idea before you actually build the product. It, particularly if it's software, you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money building software that it does some interesting things. But if you haven't figured out if there's somebody's actually going to buy it, why did you go to the trouble building it in the first place? Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today we've got another great uh, guest on the podcast, uh, Michael Yinger. And uh, Michael, we're going to be talking about a few things, including the the process of uh, getting an idea up and running is or into or getting an idea up and uh, running into a business, and how and also how you present yourself as a, a good candidate, uh, especially for employment and jobs and whatnot, and what you should and shouldn't do with uh, resumes, and how you might uh, go about finding your right job, and uh, how to uh, find the right candidate if you're on the employer side as well. So we'll be kind of uh, talking through a lot of that and having a great conversation. And with that much as in introduction. Welcome on the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Devin. I'm happy to be here. And man, those are great topics to talk about. Uh, I'm I'm excited and I think it'll be a, a great uh, conversation. So so now before we uh, before we dive into all the, the topics at hand, at hand um, for those that haven't had a chance to, to catch it or catch it, Michael was on uh, the Inventive uh, Journey uh, podcast, which is a sister podcast to this one. So definitely encourage people to go and check that out if they haven't had a chance to and, and or find out about Michael's full journey. But for those people that uh, haven't had a chance to go check out that episode yet and just want to know just a little bit about who Michael is, uh, give everybody a, a quick introduction to yourself. Sure, sure. Thanks. I've been in uh, talent acquisition for uh, the last 20 years and uh, obviously dealing with a dog who's greeting her friends and neighbors. Hopefully she's not too loud. Uh, the last few years, I've, I've been working on a startup in the HR tech space, uh, Resume Civ. We've got a product up and running. And at the same time, I do consulting primarily in the talent acquisition space, leadership and so forth, helping much as you described, Devin, not that we're competitors, helping small businesses really find their way to making that next step. As, as, as all too often, you you know, you can just get hung up on one small thing and and uh, nice to be able to help people to move forward. So those, those kind of things that I've been working on. Awesome. Well, definitely uh, a great introduction. So maybe with that at hand and, you know, no particular order, but I think that you know, with the changing, or it seems like it used to be the economy is a bit more settled, although I don't know, you had the housing crash and you've had the uh, Great Depression, you've had things that always uh, cause or unrest in the and upheaval in the marketplace and seems like we're in a bit of that uh, time as well, especially in some industries. And so I think you have both on the 
employer side, some industries that are just, you know, begging for employer for workers and, and for new or for uh, new employees and others are laying them off in mass. And so you're kind of in that tumult. But, you know, there's always, I think, good practices um, that, you know, can and help on both sides. So maybe we'll we'll start a little bit on the employee side or those that are candidates or okay. looking maybe to make a transition or to or or need or got laid off and are looking for a new job. Um, you know, one of the things I always find interesting is, you know, when you're looking at resumes, there's a lot of different resumes, you know, I've been on both sides and I have my preferences as what I like in my resume and what I like to see in resumes. But I've also seen a lot of people that have other preferences. So when you're maybe starting just at that, that first or first aspect, which is a resume, how do you go about good practices, bad practices, things you shouldn't do, things you shouldn't do? Kind of give us an idea as to, to what you should be thinking about. You know, well, the, a couple a couple things just immediately come to mind, Devin. The, the first thing, and this may, may be obvious and it's still worth saying, is your resume should be accurate because they're going to find out. <laughs> People are going to figure that out. So make sure your resume is accurate. If you've got a LinkedIn profile, make sure your resume and your LinkedIn profile are in sync. I've heard of companies now doing a comparison and then raising questions about somebody's veracity when there's a difference between what their resume says and what their LinkedIn profile says. Pretty simple kind of things. In terms of in terms of the resume itself, there are a lot of different schools of thought about you know what's the right format. Should it be chronological? Should it be based on experience? Should it be based on on skill set? the The reality is. There's no perfect answer to what a resume should look like. It should be easy to read. The um, You shouldn't spend a whole lot of time doing boxes and fancy graphics and whatnot, because more likely your, your resume is going to be read by a machine, and you want to make it easy for the machine to read, to put it into an applicant tracking system. Mm. And probably the most important thing that that people miss on is your resume should be reflective of the job you're applying to. I'm not saying you go in and you're you're putting in extra words just so that they capture somebody's attention. You should be qualified for the job you're applying to, and your resume should should be in sync with what they're looking for. The reason I say that is that whether it's automated or whether it's being reviewed by a person, they, they there's a set of criteria that's going to be used to evaluate the resume. And if it doesn't show up anywhere on your resume, they're not going to go any further because they don't have time. Hmm. Because in, in today's environment, the, the speed to market is critical for somebody who's doing hiring because candidates just don't stay around very long. And so if your resume doesn't reflect what the job is asking for, you're, you're probably not going to get a deeper look. You might be really qualified to do a lot of things and maybe even really qualified to do the job that you're considering and if your representation which is to say your resume doesn't reflect that you may not get a chance to actually talk to somebody you may be discarded out of hand because they're flipping through resumes very quickly recruiters are handling lots and lots of requisitions one of the uh, things that there's a carryover from the the covid days which are not so far behind us is there's just not enough recruiters around so recruiters are carrying a bigger workload which means they're spending less time on that resume evaluation. So you want to make yourself as presentable as possible, given what it is that that job is looking for. I'm not saying you have to rewrite your resume every time. And if the resume is looking for sales experience and your job doesn't 
doesn't have an, your resume doesn't have any uh, sales experience on it, they're probably not going to give you a second look. Just something to think about. And you, and you hit on a lot of great pieces of information. One of the questions, you know, that I think people have is, you know, how much do you tailor your resume to the job that you're applying for, right? So it's not, and I, I totally yeah. agree, you need to be truthful, truthful, forthright. It needs to coexist. I like the idea of, you know, especially as LinkedIn is is pretty popular platform should reflect, you know, you don't have a gap here and not a gap here, or you have experience here, but not here in either direction. I think that's a great takeaway. But, you know, there is still that crafting your resume to be in line with the job you're applying for or to put yourself in the best light, right? So it's not that you embellish or you're yes. dishonest, but you still can put yourself in different lights. If you just make it sound like you don't really have any, even if you do have experience in this area, but you never highlight it, it makes you look like a less favorable candidate versus more so and whatnot. Um, so, you know, what to what level do you adjust or craft your resume based on the position and how much do you just leave it as, hey, this is going to be, I am who I am. I, it is what it is and I'll apply and, you know, and, and yeah. that type of thing. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, the, I I would advise that you you err more on the side of crafting than you do it is what it is. It, unless your resume really fits the job and that's entirely possible, right? If you're looking for a sales job and you've been in sales, you know, does, it, it, is it reflecting the kind of sales that they want to have? That's the, the, the other thing is that a, res, a, a job description will have criteria that they're looking for. And, you know, when I'm looking at a job description, um, reviewing one, the first place I go is to look at what the requirements are, because that's the kind of thing that you need to have on your resume. Uh, there's, there's often going to be a lot of um, you know, description of the kind of work you might be doing, description of, of what the areas of responsibility are. Those are all important things for you to understand as, a, as an applicant. It's what, what's the criteria? If the criteria says, for example, you need 10 years experience selling to the medical hardware industry, and all you've been doing is selling cars, you're going to have a tough time convincing them that you've got the skills that they want to have. If the job description just says you need 10 years selling experience, well, then you, it's a different kind of story. So it's, it's, it really is looking at the, the more specific the job requirements are, the more you should really think about, are you going to be successful getting to the next step? And, and there are things that you can do to get perhaps to the next step without going through this initial review. I think, for example, if you're looking at jobs on LinkedIn, usually the person who posted the job is going to be listed with the job. Make a connection with that person. Maybe even have a, a, an online conversation with them before you even apply, because that's going to raise your profile when that resume comes across the desk. But it's you have to pay attention because all too often now your resume is going to get fed right into an applicant tracking system. That applicant tracking system is going to be looking for certain things. And if they're not there, you're not going to get the same kind of evaluation. Just mm. it's it's the nature of things, right? I, I, I was talking to a CEO not too long ago who had a chief operating officer job, fairly senior. It was a startup, small company, had some funding, looking for a COO. He got a thousand applicants. How much time is he going to spend on a thousand applicants? Mm. You know, because he was doing it all himself. He didn't even have a recruiter. This this, this poor CEO who's trying to get his business up and running. And he's going through a thousand COO applicants. So re realize 
there are going to be a lot of people competing for you. And, and, and again, if you're applying on LinkedIn, you can see that. You can see how many people apply to the job because the job posting tells you. Tells you what their qualifications are, what their geography is, all those kinds of things. Just it recognize it's not as simple as just throwing it out there and hoping that somebody recognizes your goodness because you might have some really goodness in you. It's hard to it's it's hard to get people to pay attention to that when they're looking for what they're looking for. No, I think that uh, that's some um, great uh, great piece of advice. So now with that, you know, one probably really simple question and it's more probably just for my or my or my gratification of asking it and getting an answer because it's it's one that I've I've heard different things and I, you know, when I went to law school, the convention at least within the law school or the people that helped you to, you know, find the jobs or give you career guidance or whatever you want to call it. Um, they always said, you know, resume shouldn't be more than a page unless you're like towards the end of retirement and you're getting close and you have a, you know, 30 or 40 years of experience, maybe it goes on to a second page, but for 90 plus percent of the scenario, it should be a simple one page, highlight your experience, highlight how much you've worked, what your background is, or, you know, what your education is and let it stand on its own. Thoughts on that? Should you do a short one pager and, uh, you know, or should it be three pages and try and be or be very in-depth and ex explain everything and convince them of how great a candidate you are? I know it's a simple question, but it seems to be one where there's uh, differing opinions on it. I think I think that the, the simple answer is that it should be shorter rather than longer. And then let me expand on that. The... Um, what a lot of resume writers will tell you is your resume shouldn't be more than 20 years. One, because it kind of ages you and you know there still is some of that in the decision process. But two, it, it is what you did 20 years ago relevant. Um, again, it's going to depend on the kind of job that, that you're applying for. Maybe, maybe the experience you had 20 years ago is still, you know, you've stayed in that industry. You know, there's some judgment to that. Starting right out, yeah, short, sweet. By the time you're mid-career, maybe two or three pages, much longer than that, and it won't it won't be reviewed. They're going to look at the first few jobs, and that and by the way, if if what they're seeing is you change jobs every year, that's going to raise some red flags too. Not that there aren't really good reasons for people to change jobs. That that whole, you know, that there there there's less attention paid to to that concept, and how much is a recruiter actually going to look at your resume and the reality is they're not going to look much beyond the first page anyway um unless what you've done is you put your education on the third page or second page and that's okay you know there's nothing that says education has to be up front you know most of the time it's not the education that you've got it's unless you're coming right out of school in which case hmm. your education should be first because that's what somebody's hiring you for but it really is you know what is it that you've done and you know each each job shouldn't be that long three or four bullets quantifiable results that you've achieved projects that you worked on something like that short and sweet is really the guidance that's for mm -hmm. sure and, I, and that's how you know that's where, at least from when i have done it or how i like it when i've been on you know the other side of now reviewing and you know you kind of say hey you get a lot of resumes and usually you know the reality whether or not you know it's frustrating when you're on the employee or the person that the candidate side of saying hey I give me a chance and I'll do a great job. But if you're putting on your, if you've been in the employer side or the hiring side, you're saying, Hey, I've got to get someone onboarded. I've got to get this going. I have our needs. 
And I'm going to spend a few seconds, you know, a minute or two, maybe at most, if it looks like it's a good one. And then I'll probably set up some time if that looks like it's a reasonable candidate and talk to them further. And so, you know, if I get the ones that it's has a long cover page and then it has, you know, all of this expen extensive things and that I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, well, maybe if it's really looks like it's really good, but I'm still only going to really look at the first page. And so that's, I think that that's great to take away. <clears throat> So now let, let's, uh, so so many things that we could talk about. And one of the other <laughs> ones that I think is interesting and that I wanted to get your, pick your brain on, and I guess it's just because these are, uh, you know, are fun conversations that I, I I enjoy having, especially, you know, full insight. I, there's a, I always call him my nemesis on LinkedIn. It's really not nemesis because I actually I like the guy. We have a lot of good conversations, but we have polar opposite views on just about everything. So I always say oh. more of a nemesis. And it always goes down to the conversation of working from home, hybrid working, working in the office. And, you know, it seems like for 2020, 2021, there was a huge push for, hey, you need to let anybody work from anywhere if you can. And it's hybrid and or working from home. And it seems like it's shifting back to more of the employer gets to do or it, because things have got more competitive on or I guess and people have been laid off, economy slowed down, inflation, everything else is hitting. It's kind of shifting back to employers are the ones that are deciding, and most of them are moving back to working from the office. But any insights on that, should you, on both sides, should you be flexible on the employer side of you need to be hybrid or working from home? And on the employee side, is it realistic to make that demand? You know, kind of any thoughts on, on either yeah. side? Yeah, let's look at the employee just first. The one thing that has has changed, and we'll see if it if it stays changed. One thing that has changed is the the employee has a lot more opportunity, really, to make decisions based on things like: is this a work from home? Is this a hybrid? Or is this a work from office? And so, as a as a applicant. You should be really clear on what it is that you want, and then are you willing to accept or not accept? Because I think what will happen is that it, it, things are going to change over time from the company perspective. We, should, we look at that. Yeah, 2021, even into 22, uh, you know, offices were largely vacant, although that was starting to shift early in 22. There's a lot of pressure on the organizational side from, from um, two fronts. One is they got the footprint. They got the office. They got, they got what am I going to do with this office, right? I got all this real estate. I can't get out of my lease. I got to bring people back into the office. The only way to justify it. The other is that that there there are um, there are jobs. There are are things that that do benefit from that sort of collaboration. And and some companies recognize that. Sometimes some don't. Um, I'm, I, I, I told you up front, I'm working on a startup and, and we've been virtual because we started in, in right after the beginning of the COVID lockdown and, and have no intention of doing anything other than being um, virtual. So I think the, the company has to make a decision around what's the, the best because you can put pressure on your workers that they may just say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else because I can do this same job for this other company from anywhere. Why would I come back to the office? Maybe I even moved during COVID to somewhere that's a little bit easier to, to deal with. And, and I'm not anywhere near the office anymore. There are those kinds of realities. And so I think that it, both sides of the equation, the, you know, the, the employees and the employers are going to, going to continue to sort of feel their way out. Uh, 
the um, what it, and and again, it's it's like everything else. There's, there's no right answer. What you know, some things you know, there's some jobs. You know, can can you can you stock a warehouse and manage people in a warehouse from home? No, you can't. You yeah. know, it, 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 let's look at Elon Musk, not to go far down that hole, but, <laughs> you know, um, you know, he, he said at one point, look, everybody who's building cars has to be in the office, has to be in, in the factory. And so the people managing them should be in the factory to manage them. OK, you know, there's there's a certain amount of you can really understand how that's going to work on a give and take basis. And and if you're running a consulting firm, uh you know, some sort of a services firm, even even things like customer service, where all it takes is a phone. Do they have to be sitting in the office? Is there any really benefit to that? Those are those are decisions that you need to make as an employer. And mm -hmm. and what is it that your people uh, are going to expect? What is it that they'll put up with? And it's just going to change over time. It's definitely going to change over time. You know, the, I, I don't think we're, we're done with an office culture, but I think it's it, it will likely be less prevalent than it was in the past, mostly because one of the other things that, that employers figured out is that virtual is not necessarily less productive. That was always that, you know, oh my God, people work from home and they won't do anything, right? They'll be playing mm. with their dog or, you know, dealing with their kids and they won't do their work. Well, it's it's not exactly the, uh, panned out that productivity for those who are working remotely tends to be at or above other folks. You know, they're not having a commute, they don't have to, you know, deal with getting up and getting, uh, you know, the certain kind of clothes on every day. You know, there's some real benefits to, you know, people. I, I found, for example, that, you know, I would I obviously not traveling much during COVID. It's amazing how much time you have when you don't travel. It's just amazing how many more hours there are in the day when you're not mm -hmm. going to the airport, waiting in line to get on a plane getting to where you're getting all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. You can work while you're traveling and most people do, but it's, uh, I think we will continue to see interest in this hybrid style. No. And I think that, yeah, it's interesting kind of how it ebbs and flows. And like I said, I'm probably, I've ebbed and flowed on, even on the employer side, you know, at one point in my career, I was pretty adamant everybody needed to be in the office and I probably, and now we switched to primarily remote for different positions. But I think that you have to, I think that it is one that's interesting just to see how that ebbs and flows and, you know, and, and how it, uh, and, and what industries are making those changes and which ones feel like it worked out well and which ones have now kind of retreated back to where they were at originally now that they have that option. So one yeah. of the other interesting things that uh love to, you know, pick your brain about or get a bit of insight is, is that, um, you know, red flags and in, in a in a resume or as you're submitting, I guess I'll, I'll broaden it out both the resumes as well as just when you're going through the interviewing process or, you know, can, or candidate review process. You know, you touched on one, which is discrepancy between LinkedIn and resumes. And I think that's becoming more mm -hmm. prevalent than it once was, you know, typically used to be you submitted your resume. There wasn't a, other than calling up each of the previous employers and asking about it. There wasn't a lot of, and, and the universities and all that. And most of the time people just took it on face value because you didn't want to have to do that much work. But other red flags as you're going through that process, both on an employer, if you're saying, hey, here are things that you should be looking for as red flags. And then on the candidate side of here are things you should avoid so you're not causing the red flags. But any any thoughts on there? Yeah, there, there are a couple that are that are pretty common um, and they're almost uh, sort of uh, mirrors of each other. The first is, do you have overlap in employment? Now that's entirely possible. You know, say for example, on my resume, I'm, I sit on a board of directors. 
and I, you know, I'm COO of a, of a small company. So those things are both open, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing both of those at the same time, but it is going to cause somebody to look, you know, to, to look twice, like, is this person double dipping? That's a, that, you know, particularly in this era of remote work, that it is a, a real challenge that, that, that we're discovering. The other is gaps. And I've seen very creative ways of dealing with gaps. Um, often it has to do with family, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, somebody, uh, you know, dealing with raising children or, you know, uh, somebody who um, moves with their spouse. And so they have gaps in their uh, and, and so it, it helps to be upfront with those kinds of things. Um, the other things that, that would concern people are, you know, if you, if you, you put a college, but, you know, you don't you know, you're, you're kind of, maybe you leave the college name off, you know, I've got a bachelor's degree in, um, you know, biochemistry, uh, but uh, you don't, I don't say where I went. Hmm. Then somebody's saying, well, you know, what, what's that? Um, so it's, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the, with the, the, the truthfulness of it and whether or not these things can be validated. Um, you know, where where your company's located is not so critical anymore. It used to be that, oh, my God, you got to put down the website. Well, everybody knows how to find a website these days, so you don't need to put down the website. You know, a lot, in, in a lot of ways, it's simpler with all the online tools that are available, what, what you should be looking out for. But, that, you know, I think it, it really goes back to, um, you know, do you have the skills that they're looking for and they should tell you what the skills are in their criteria. That's that's probably the biggest thing. And we already we already beat that one to death. No, but one of the things you hit on, I think it is both on the employee and the employer side it, that I think is interesting. And it seems to be more prevalent, as you touched on, with the working from home or hybrid and that culture is, you know, where you're double employed, right? So you're double dipping or I'm, I'm working for two employers and I try and keep them separate. So they never know that I'm working for both, but then I'm really only doing half an effort on each of them. If that I'm trying to get two paychecks. Right. And so it's kind of the one where, and it feels, you know, yeah. at least on my end, dishonest because you're really not giving your full effort yeah. or even putting in the right. time that you committed to, but how do employers figure that out? Or, you know, how did, you know, on the employer yeah. side or looking at candidates, what are those red flags? Cause you know, if I were to be in an interview, even if somebody already had a job that they weren't planning on leaving, they're just going to say, oh, yeah, I'm planning on leaving as soon as you, you know, if you're to hire me and I just don't want to leave until I have that in place. And then they just never leave. But how do you figure how do you go about identifying that flag or figuring it out? Well, it, it's 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 not likely ever to be on the resume. Right. If somebody is is literally doing that, then they're they're not going to put it on the resume. The, where, where I've seen it is, is in a couple of ways. Um, one people will have uh, more than one LinkedIn page or they'll have a Facebook page that's completely different than their LinkedIn page because of, you know, that maybe the nature of the work. Mm. The other is, is uh, websites. And I've seen that where, where somebody will have a website that's dedicated to doing something that's unrelated to what their employment is. Now there may be a very good reason for that. Uh, but those are, those are things where, you know, you're, you're, you're going to go beyond what somebody puts in their application. You're going to go beyond what somebody puts in their resume to, to look somebody up. Um, it, you know, although, it, you know, Devin, it's, it's kind of funny. It, 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 people just, sometimes they don't realize that all it takes is maybe just a, you know, checking out what's going on on your LinkedIn to realize that you've got, you know, sort of a dual life going on. People are just, they, they, you know, it's, uh, 
we, we think people aren't paying attention, but the reality is that they are, that, you know, mm-hmm. there are companies that are, that are auditing. And as I said, you know, there are, there are companies that actually do go to the trouble of comparing LinkedIn and your resume. And if the dates don't match, then they say, well, I, I, if you can't keep this straight, then, you know, I, I don't know which is right. I, how, why should I try and figure it out? This is just something that's not, um, you know, not right. It, 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 if, if you're on the up and up, you should look like you're on the up and up. I guess it's, it's really the, 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 the core advice. If you're trying to pull something, well, then you're going to do whatever you got to do to pull it. That's, I, I know that. I, 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 I just tell you one resume story. Uh, I was using um, our, uh, a tool to evaluate the resume and this person was showing up as having the skill and I couldn't find the, the uh, there, I was looking for SAS and, and I couldn't find the, the, the four letters SAS in next to each other anywhere in the resume. Mm. Well, the way this, uh, the software worked is it, it flagged the words by highlighting them in green in the resume down at the very bottom of the resume was this little tiny green square in the white space. <laughs> so I downloaded the resume and I changed the color of the font to black for the whole, mm. you know, select all change font to, to black. They had pasted their resume on top of the job description turned the job description white and then submitted that document. Interesting. So, so that they would cover all the keywords. Well, mm-hmm. you know, aside from being clever, that just guarantees that you're just going to go right to reject. Right. Yeah. You know, if people spend half as much time figuring out how to look good, honestly, as they do, how to try to beat the system, they'd probably be more successful. That's just my, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> always, I always agree. And that's what's always interesting. If you just spend as much time just preparing, reviewing what the company yes. does, reaching out to people, maybe you connect with the the people on or LinkedIn, like some of their articles, read about them. It doesn't take any more effort, but it's going to be a lot more likely you're going to get the job than trying yeah, to gain exactly. the system. But I think, you know, yep. sometimes people have gotten their mind that, well, the system is rigged against them or it's, you know, the, the only way they can get ahead is if they're underhanded. And I think that's just the opposite because every time, as soon as you catch any of those red flags, it's immediate. You're done. You're You're done. done. You can't trust that employee. They're trying to gain the system. And if I can't even trust them during the hiring process, I certainly can't trust them to to work for the company. So it is very interesting to, to see how that goes. So Yep. Well, we're already reaching and we had a ton more things that we could have and, and, and it would have been fun <laughs> sure. to talk about, but we're already uh, reaching towards the end of the uh, episode. So we'll have to have you back on to another one of the sister podcasts and uh, and maybe have a, a follow on conversation. Um, but as we're reaching towards the end of this episode, I always have uh, one question I'd like to ask at the end of each episode. So we'll jump to that now, which is, you know, within your industry, what is the biggest myth and why is it wrong? Within my industry, what is the biggest myth? Okay, so I'll I'll focus on uh, you know I, I'm working on this startup in the in the tech space, and the biggest myth is one that is so familiar. If you build it, they will come. Hmm. And and it's this it the, what what you know put make this a little more concrete. This says well you know you get this great idea and and maybe you do have a great idea. Market test the idea before you actually build the product. It, particularly if it's software, you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money building software that it does some interesting things. But if you haven't figured out if there's somebody's actually going to buy it, why did you go to the trouble of building it in the first place? And you know, it, it it's something that that continues to sort of perpetuate itself. That you know, people come out with these really cool things that no one wants to buy, and 
you, you can you can track back. Well, how many startups fail? Well, sometimes startups fail because they're just not managed very well. Yeah, okay, that's true of other companies as well. And often startups fail because they didn't really identify what their market was. Did they have a product that was um, sellable or buyable? Yeah, you know, depending on on how you view that perspective. So that's something that just yeah, I, I see it time and time again that it, a great idea, no traction because they didn't do the kind of research necessary and they started building it based on what they assumed the customer would want, but without any data. So there you go. No, makes makes perfect sense and uh, is a, a great uh, the myth to dispel. And I think that, you know, there is that feeling a lot of times of if you build it, they will come and yet there's a lot of flaws to that, but it's a myth that continues to perpetuate. So I think that's a great one. So, well, now as we wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, or they just want to hire you to help them find a great job, whatever it is, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? The the best way is uh, Mike Yinger on LinkedIn. You know, I, I accept uh, pretty much all comers. Uh, people want to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is michael.yinger at custsoul, C-U-S-T-S-O-L.com. And that's also my website. But LinkedIn is is probably the easiest. Mike Yinger on LinkedIn. I'm not that hard to find. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to, to reach out, connect, and uh, and if nothing else, make a new best friend. And so yeah. with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners that are out there, if you can help us to share these this expertise with even more startups and small businesses, um, just click share, subscribe, and leave us a review. Helps us to even reach more uh, startups and small businesses and help them along their journey. And with that, if you ever need help with your startup, your small business for patents or trademarks, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Michael, for coming on the podcast and wish the next My leg pleasure. of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin.